Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. The AP Top 25 College Football Podcast is presented by Regions Bank. Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, college football writer with the Associated Press. My guest this week is Bill Conley, the brains behind the excellent SP Plus ranking system. You might remember him from his time at SB Nation. Now he's with ESPN. We'll talk to Bill about his early season numbers, what they tell us about how the playoff race could go, what teams' good starts might be a bit of a mirage, and what teams might have more hope than the first three weeks of the season suggest. Plus, we talk a lot about how to value teams. I think those who cover and follow college football are too quick to dismiss every team as terrible and therefore so many results as meaningless. SP Plus is a way of pushing back against that type of thinking We also get into a pretty long discussion about UCF and why I think I might be ready to fully embrace the Knights bandwagon. One programming note, we are taping a little earlier in the week than usual because of my travel schedule. So if we miss some news that may have developed on Monday afternoon or Tuesday, that's why it's not referenced. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Podcast One at Apple Podcasts, just about anywhere you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, and if so inclined, give us a good review. It helps college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans, and away we go. Joining me this week on the podcast, and this is the first time I've had a chance to talk to Bill Conley from ESPN as opposed to Bill Conley from SB Nation. So welcome, Bill Conley from ESPN to the uh, AP Top 25 podcast. Yeah, congrats on the new gig. I haven't had a chance to talk to you since you switched over. Uh, Bill does S&P Plus, the great analytical rankings uh, that, again, I'm sure if you listen to this podcast, you are probably somewhat familiar with them. But if you do not... I'm going to have Bill explain what S&P Plus is and how he goes about putting together his rankings. Because you do this all the time. In fact, I was just going to read from atop the rankings, but that's probably a little boring. Just a very brief description of how you put your analytics together and what the rankings are all about. I mean, yeah, my SP Plus rankings are um, in, in the tightest nutshell possible. They are tempo-adjusted and opponent-adjusted looks at efficiency, at the things that are actually repeatable and sustainable in college football. Uh, So, you know, you don't necessarily get rewarded just for winning. Uh, You don't get punished uh, specifically for losing, but all the things that go into uh, the game of football that that are actually not based around funky bounces and and randomness. Those are the things I try to measure. Um, And I've been started it at Football Outsiders in 08, I believe. Um, And then, uh, yeah, moved on to SB Nation in 2011 and then moved on to ESPN this summer. Gotcha. So yeah, forward-looking metric, not a resume metric. It does not necessarily reward just for right. you know past performances. It is a forward-looking metric. So you know, if you're a person who likes to bet a little bit on games, I think Bill's right. numbers generally do pretty well on that. How they how have they been doing early season? Uh, I believe they are fifty-five percent against the spread so far, which is a little better than normal. Um, did 
amazing in the first week, pretty good in the second, and okay last week. But that's just that's how it is. There is always a bump between about weeks four and seven because at some point in there the transition is just too weird between like what all the projection stuff and what we think we know and what we don't know and all those other things. But so far, so good. So Bill and I represent uh, two different ends of ranking football teams to a certain degree, though Bill has far more control over SP Plus than I do over the AP Top 25. We just pick the voters, count them up, and throw the uh, results out there. There is nothing particularly scientific about the AP poll. It is completely uh, subjective. Though I'm sure some of our voters look over your stuff. In fact, I know they do at this point. I know they look over things like FBI and SP Plus and even Sagarin ratings and things along those lines to give them somewhat of a blueprint. But we do subjective rankings uh, that are very much backward looking, rewarding teams. And what Bill does is, again, numbers crunching to sort of project ahead. An interesting thing happened. Let's start here. An interesting thing I think happened this weekend. There was a bit of a theme. Well, I mean, I think there was a theme even going into this season that Alabama and Clemson have separated themselves. Maybe Georgia is right behind them and Oklahoma and Ohio State with the recent dominance in their conferences that those five teams have sort of separated themselves from the rest of college football. That was a theme walking into the season. And then through three weeks of the season, there has been nothing to suggest that we are heading anything but toward four of those five teams making the playoff. The one difference is LSU now has somewhat worked its Mm -hmm. way into that conversation as well with LSU Big win over Texas, sort of, you know, uh, forcing um, the Tigers into that conversation. Though, if you want to be fair, I might say that the jury is still out on LSU, but for the AP rankings, they are fourth because they have a big win. We are backwards looking. Are your numbers, which are still sort of influenced by preseason crunching of numbers, are they seeing a separation at the top yet? Well, first of all, LSU is fourth in, in my rankings, too. So it isn't just simply because they beat a, a team that was top 10 at the time. They've looked – well, they're, I mean, they were projected pretty high to start with, but they've looked, they've looked apart. I mean, their offense is a little – or their defense, excuse me, is a little less than we're used to seeing, but that might have at least a little bit of an early correlation to do with how quickly they're scoring and how much they're scoring. Um, that certainly – you know, that defense wore down against Texas in the second half, and that was where a lot of the breakdowns happened. So – uh, yeah, I mean, the top six teams right now in my SP Plus rankings are exactly the same as the top, different order, but the exact same as the top six in the AP right now. Uh, you guys have Notre Dame three spots higher. Uh, my numbers have been 10th, not 7th. Uh, Auburn and Florida are 8-9, just like they are in mine. So, there, yeah, there's a lot of similarity. I think the one thing that my numbers are, are well, a couple of things. Number one, like, Technically, Georgia has probably looked better than Clemson this year. Mm. Um, and that's something my SP Plus rankings have picked up on. That, you know, they are a half point ahead of them, basically, for second place right now. And that, that can obviously change in a single week. But uh, heading into last week, I think Arkansas State was 60th, and Syracuse, after that horrible Maryland game, was 70th. Uh, and Georgia treated Arkansas State worse than Clemson treated uh, Syracuse. So they got more credit, and now they're in second place for now. Uh, the other big thing, though, is uh, my numbers are trying to pick up on a trend uh, regarding Wisconsin very early. They are seventh right now. They were a hair higher uh, before the bye week. They apparently had a bad bye week. Mm-hmm. But um, they, uh, you, we, we can draw a lot more predictive uh, power or predictive value from treating bad teams like bad teams. 
like just completely dominating uh, lesser teams. And Wisconsin could not possibly have looked better in their first two weeks. It was, you know, it was against who it was against. It was against Central Michigan and USF. So we'll see. I'm really happy that this Michigan game is where it is on the schedule because Michigan's been kind of the opposite. They slipped from preseason top whatever it was, six or seven. I have them 16th now. I think FPI has them like 14th or 15th, if I remember right. Uh, they have slipped. They have not looked very good in two weeks. But now, with this Wisconsin-Michigan game coming up, we have a, we get a chance to answer a ton of questions about both teams, and, and that's a, a very good thing. One of the things I was interested in talking to you about is is uh, as an overall topic, and that we'll hit on specific teams and rankings and things along those lines. Is the idea of every game has value, and I I, I really right. think that we have lost that a little bit from fans and even media perspective to the extent that like there is no value in what Georgia did to Arkansas state. Right. Right. So, so we just throw everything out as like, well, that doesn't mean anything. And that doesn't mean anything. And that doesn't seem intellectually honest to me. And then that, and that's why I like analytics, be it yours or others out there, because everything has a certain amount of value. So let's sit on Georgia for a second here. Georgia has played, Vandy, an FCS team, and Arkansas State. I was looking at, according to your new newest rankings, both Vandy and Arkansas State are 70 or below. Now, we know that yeah. those are not necessarily particularly good teams. I think that Arkansas State might end up being a pretty good Sun Belt team, for whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And Vandy could end up being a bowl team, maybe, possibly be a bowl team, but a, you know, a bad team in the SEC. But there is still value to the how well Georgia has played as far as I'm concerned because Arkansas State's not nothing. And uh, right, Arkansas State just obliterated uh, UNLV, the team that gave Northwestern Pittsburgh almost the entire game. And, I mean, obviously transitive property doesn't get you very far, but that is, I mean, they are, as far as G5 teams go, they are, you could do a lot worse. There are a lot they, they, they are among the more athletic, I think, teams uh, in the in the G5 universe, and, and they treated them like they were an FCS team. So how much do you try to, again, and part of what you end up doing online besides being snarky is, is a little bit of education, <laughs> too, and that is to try to make people understand that everything sort of has a value if you look deep enough into the context. So, you know, if, if somebody challenges you on, well, why is Georgia getting, you know, credit for beating up bad teams? What, what's the context you're trying to explain to them? Well, I mean, two parts. Um, and first of all, it's good snark. I, it's mostly, no, it's, it's mostly generally good snark. snark it's, it's, it's generally okay. lighthearted snark. Uh, yes. Just, just to be clear. No, um, so, I mean, two things. Number one, we should try to uh, derive value out of everything we get a chance to derive value out of because we already deal with a small sample in college football. We have 12 opportunities uh, before the, you know, before the postseason. We have 12 chances to uh, figure out what a team's about. That's, you know, whatever that is, that's two weeks in a baseball season. You know, that's uh, what, th- what, four, like, like a month in, in the NBA or something. I mean, that's, we get very little to begin with. And then we immediately have this notion that, well, well, those games don't count. Only these like two games count or three games count uh, for this team. That's just limiting what, what is already a problem. Like I, we shouldn't, 
just like morally or aesthetically, at least we shouldn't be trying to do that. But then uh, beyond that, like I've tried in a million different ways to see if there's value. If, if like if the game's against the better teams on the schedule, if I gave them more weight, would it make my numbers better or more predictive? Maybe there's a way and I just haven't found it yet, but I have not found a way that the most predictive I can make my numbers is from draw, drawing value from every single game, including the FCS games, which is kind of tricky. And, and those games are dependent at least partially on just how, how much you want to score, you know, that's when, when you call up the dogs will depend a lot on, on will will determine a lot of how those games go. But uh, by trying to derive value from those games and by filtering out the garbage time snaps that, um, you know, once the game's outside of whatever it is, 28 points in the second quarter and 24 in the third or whatever, but what, I, I forget my new definition of garbage time, but um, by filtering that out and trying to derive value from the, the snaps that took place while the game was technically in question, then um, my system is more predictive than it is if I didn't do those things. Let me hit on garbage time for a second because you just mentioned it. Have you adjusted to garbage time measures because the game has become so different and so so explosive? Because the fact of the matter is, you know, I don't know if a 28-point lead in the second quarter means the game is over anymore, especially right. depending on yeah. certain teams. So when, and when you did those adjustments to quote-unquote garbage time, uh, was it with the idea that we are now in a higher-scoring environment? Yeah, that was that was certainly why I looked into it. I used to have a pretty tight definition. Like, um, I think it was anything over 28 points in the first quarter, 24 in the second, 21 in the third, and then over 16 in the fourth. I've stretched that out a little bit. It, it's now uh, basically 43 points in the first quarter. So almost every first quarter snap in any game is going to count. Um, over 36 points in the second quarter, over 28 in the or over 27 in the third, uh, and over 21 in the fourth. So basically. That's uh, that's the new definition of garbage time. Anything within those bounds counts as as a play. Anything outside those bounds doesn't count. But what happened was, like the way I went about that was, I started looking at, at game states and when tendencies and habits tend to change. I figured that's like even if you're up 17 points in the fourth quarter, you're probably not. Well, <laughs> some teams will. Uh, but you're, you're not automatically going to go from passing 60% of the time to running 90% of the time, or, or you know, maybe you won't. But what I, what I looked into there was just basically like, where, where do the run pass rates, where, where does the game appear to be, where do the teams acknowledge that the game is over? Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And that's, so that's how I kind of established the, the numbers that I did there was looking at those uh, run pass rates and, and when they change. And it, it gave pretty you could tell in the numbers, like, this is pretty stark. And, and so, you know, the win probabilities at that point are, are 99% at, at the lowest. Uh, and, and, the, and it seems to be when the, the coaches have given up trying and probably put in their backups. So that's, when I, that's where I drew that line. Let me flip back to uh, what, where I started with with you, because you're right, the rankings right now are uh, – and just for another thing for people to understand – uh, there is a a preseason element to your rankings too, right? Because you right. use last season's performance, uh, recruiting rankings, things along those lines to set a baseline. And it, for those who say, well, why should last year count? Well, the fact of the matter is you can get a pretty good idea predictively of how a team is going to do this year by looking at how they did last year. That's pretty simple. Yeah, and that, and that's, which is another thing I, I actually, where your rankings, even though they are so much different from the AP poll has some similarities because people always ask me, well, do you ask people to project ahead? Why does last year performance matter? You shouldn't have a preseason poll to which I say, yeah, that's fine. I mean, I definitely get some of the idea of, 
you know, you're waiting things in the preseason. But the idea that like where it's just starting from an absolute blank slate at every season is disingenuous. Like we have information available because I'm pretty sure I know what a, a bunch of these teams are going to be like within a certain parameter. Now, there be <laughs> maybe some wild fluctuations, but a lot of them aren't going to change that drastically from one year to the other. So you do the same. You have some some preseason elements baked in. And how soon do those sort of get washed away? Yeah, I mean, first thing is that like, even if you don't think you apply preseason, you know, projections or previous seasons performance or anything like even if you don't think you do you do how did we know that lsu versus texas was a big game because both of those teams did well last year and we thought both of them would do well this year and therefore they were both in the top 10 therefore it was a big game uh you know it just what what happens is we disagree with the preseason with using preseason projections when they don't say what we think they're going to say uh and that means they're wrong and they shouldn't be Used. Now, basically, the, I mean, the way my system works, through three weeks, it's still 80%. My, my ratings are still 80% drawn from preseason projections because three weeks is nothing. Three weeks does not tell us nearly as much as we think it tells us. And the use of priors, just like everything I do, is because it makes the numbers more predictive. Like, there, there's always that. It's not a, this, I should do this or I should do that. Like, no, I've tried a million different things, and this is what makes the numbers the most predictive, especially this early. Uh, so when you see, like, a Mississippi State still at 13th uh, after losing to Kansas State, well, it's because they were right around there in the preseason. Let's see, what was their uh, preseason projection? It was do-do-do-do-do uh, 10th. They were 10th in the preseason, which, I, which was – I was kind of skeptical of that one. It, it was mainly because yeah, that was aggressive. I think to for I think SP plus was uh, was a little aggressive there. <laughs> yeah, it was, and, and basically, I mean, I know why. It was basically that they didn't lose a ton of their production on defense, mm-hmm. but the ones they lost were all first round draft picks. Right, right. So my numbers see that, and they're like, all right, well, the, this should still be a really good defense. They return whatever percentage of their tackles and all that stuff, but when it's Sweat Simmons and Abram. Um, you know, that, that makes a, a larger impact than, than it normally would. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a, you know, if I could figure out how to incorporate draft points or something into it in a way that would be effective, I would, uh, but I haven't yet. So, uh, yeah, that was a little aggressive, but they've only fallen to 13th primarily because they were 10th to start with. Now, after four weeks is when I found, you know, this is a blurry period and everybody – you know, it, it, you're just not going to have the right read on all on all 130 teams this early. But uh, starting next week is when things get more aggressive. It goes from 80 percent to I think 55 percent uh, based on preseason projections at that point. And I and um, I've got some conference level adjustments that I use now that'll start to take effect next week. So basically, the teams it's it, it, it circles back and says like here are here are the initial SP plus ratings. Now let's project all the games again and see who it's overestimating or underestimating. Um, those will start to take effect as well, and so you'll you'll see some pretty next week will be some pretty big shifts, much more than we've seen so far. Um, because I and I looked like I've gotten yelled at by Kansas State fans for the last twenty four hours, and I looked to see like if I use next week's adjustments for this week's games where would they rank uh they would be 26 they're like 49th now but they'd be 26 wisconsin would be second 
So it is aggressive, and, and there's a reason I don't make those adjustments this early. But it will start to get kind of volatile next week. You'll see a lot of shifts next week. You mentioned conference adjustments. There's the conversation we have, just the casual conversation that fans and media have about conferences, and then there's what you do with your numbers. I am kind of tired and over the whole conference discussions at this point. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how really important it is anymore. I just don't know if the energy it takes to determine whether Kentucky is better than Arizona is truly meaningful and a good use of my time. Uh, you know, uh, within the playoff discussion, we have made it pretty clear that there that the playoff. And I'll circle back around on this topic. The playoff committee is really only looking at very big games, which draws it more towards what you do. I can tell if a team is good. And we should all be able to tell how good a team is independent of the competition, which sort of draws back to what you were saying about uh, Mm -hmm. what we were talking about with Georgia and Arkansas State. Like, it is relevant that Georgia beat Arkansas State 55 to nothing. Anyway, long-winded way of saying when you talk about conference adjustments, what does that mean? Because, again, me personally, I'm just done with the whole conversation, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I am. I'll post like average rankings or average ratings by conference each week because I know people look for that. Um, but then I'll get like, there'll always be responses like, well, we should use median for this, or we should filter out the max and the min. We should do this and this. Why do you only use average? And my answer is basically because I don't care enough to do anything more than that. I was <laughs> like, you know, you can, you can find the ratings online. You can do whatever you want, but this is what I'm doing because I don't care to spend any more time on the topic. But um, basically the, what I try to it was interesting. Like basically the top couple of G5 teams in a given year were, it would always like UCF, for instance, would always grade out super high. Um, despite not, you know, we all know about how UCF struggled to find the right opponents in 2017 and all those things. Uh, but it, it felt like they, they just weren't connected to the other top teams. And I couldn't figure out, it just kind of made me paranoid. I figured there's probably a better way to make adjustments because if you play the right schedule where you don't have much connectivity uh, among like good, medium, and bad teams, then you can you're, you're kind of unmoored. Your rating isn't as tied to to the rest of college football as, as other teams are. So I basically I played around with the idea of a conference adjustment, basically like looking at it like um, kind of in a way evaluating you based on the neighborhood you live in mm-hmm. um, and where I basically took what, what I was talking about with, you know, creating the initial ratings and then going back and um, looking at where, you, where it's missing on, which teams it's missing on and all that. So I did that for the teams and that's been in the numbers uh, in the ratings for a couple of years, just trying to adjust, especially early on. Like if you're just missing wildly on these teams, we'll make adjustments for that. But I also did it by conference. And, and what I found was, you know, there'd be conferences like, you know the SEC. It's a, on average, it's missing. Um, it, it'll it's missing SEC games by three and a half points per game. It's like not giving SEC teams enough credit on average, so you get bumped up for you know for uh, for that reason. It tries to add a little bit of extra connectivity um, to to make those conference uh, make those evaluations better. And that's I mean that's the. That's the whole point, and, and it made the SEC numbers really, really good last year because it did. Find, I did find that I, it was underestimated somehow. Uh, I, you know, I didn't know it was possible to underestimate the SEC, but it was, and not just <laughs> Alabama. So everybody got bumped up pretty high in the SEC last year, and that worked out fine. This year, because of that, a bunch of SEC teams got ranked really high in the preseason, but this year has played out kind of differently so far. So when those 
uh, adjustments start to take shape um, next week. And, and again, they're not going to carry just a ton of weight yet because it is still early. Uh, Big 12 is going to get a bump. The AAC is going to get a pump. Uh, SEC is probably going to get a bump down because it was overestimating, based on last year's numbers, it was overestimating what some of these teams would be capable of this year. But the whole point is like to, to include as many like self-scout uh, techniques as possible uh, to make sure you're not overselling this or that. And, and right now it's probably overestimated the SEC a little bit, and that, that, won't, that won't last very much longer. You mentioned UCF, so let's mention UCF. You have been, I feel like you and Godfrey, Stephen Godfrey, your former uh, colleague at SB Nation, and you guys uh, once had a podcast before you decided to move on to different things. And I feel like you guys were sort of the champions of the group of five <laughs> schools to a certain degree. And, and maybe not completely. I mean, and you know, the funny thing with UCF, I don't know if you can champion them enough to satisfy some of their fans. No, God, no. Because, yeah, because, I mean, you know, I, I feel like I've been a little bit – let me get this off my chest, Bill. I feel like I've been a little <laughs> bit trying to play both ends with UCF. You know, I do think the system is clearly, clearly – stacked against G5 teams without question. It's the the, oh, the yeah. playoff postseason system of choosing who gets in is clearly stacked against G5 teams. With that said, I also found myself looking at UCF and and again, I watch a lot of football so my eyes have a certain amount of training to know that like that doesn't look like Alabama and that doesn't <laughs> look like Clemson and that probably doesn't even look like Ohio State. So I am somewhere between, yeah, UCF's probably getting screwed. And we, and quite frankly, I think our voters, and when I say our voters, like the AP voters, I don't think they've been quick enough to adjust. They've, they've adjusted a little as the last couple of years, a little more respect this year, a little more respect last year. And I still think even like this week, they are sitting at 15 in the poll. And I find myself looking at going back to my original point, and I, I swear I'll, I'll end this, but I, but I do really need to get this off my chest. So you're playing therapist here, Bill. <laughs> I found myself, you know, looking at sort of this top five or six teams that look so much better than everybody else, and who is the everybody else? The Notre Dames and the Floridas and the Auburns and and Wisconsin and Penn State, and I sort of look at UCF and think like. Yeah, that's about right. Like, I think they could play with any of those teams. So I actually think that UCS probably being undersold a little bit this year by the pollsters, at least early in the season, especially after what they did to Stanford. So, yeah, I, I've been a little bit on the fence with UCF, trying to play both sides, understanding everybody's argument. That's usually not enough to appease either side, quite frankly, especially not the UCF fans. You're sort of either all in or you're against them. But I think I'm moving closer to their side at this, too. I, I do think after this weekend, I found myself thinking, you know what, if I'm going to be a person who, who wants to tout the value of every game, and be a person who says, yes, it is meaningful that Georgia beats Arkansas State 55 nothing. It is meaningful that Florida has a close win against Kentucky, that Kentucky is not just another team that we throw aside. Then it, it should be pretty meaningful what UCF is doing over these last three years. And it's meaningful that they blew the doors off of Stanford with a freshman quarterback. So anyway, long-winded, <laughs> very long-winded way of me of saying, I think I'm moving closer to the UCF camp. I'm not sure if I'm going to be a zealot yet. But I think I'm moving closer to the UCF camp. What are your numbers telling you so far? Again, so early, so a lot of things can change about UCF. Yeah, I mean, 
First, like to me, the biggest thing last year was that if you win 25 games in a row, you go 13 and 0 one year, including beating the team that beat both of the teams in the national title game. I mean, that's again that gets us into transitive property stuff that doesn't get us very far. It doesn't tell us as much as we think it does, but they still like they blew the doors off of everybody. Then they got a shot at a heavyweight and they beat them. And then they turned around and they went 12 and 0 the next year and didn't come anywhere close to playing for their subdivision's national title. That's like, what are we doing? That, like, that was my biggest thing. Like last year, I didn't feel like last year's UT, UCF team was as good as the previous one defensively. Uh, and then of course, Milton gets hurt and, and all that at the end. But um, if you can win 25 games in a row and beat the power conference teams that you do get a chance to play, uh, and you beat a whole bunch of good mid-majors, among other things, um, and you still can't sniff a playoff bid, what are we doing? What, what's, why, why are you in FBS? Why do we have this giant system of pretend going on? And so that's, among other things, I mean, I've been advocating for an 18 playoff for a while, but the biggest thing, the biggest moral reason that I have for that is simply to make sure that you have an 18 playoff, fine, put every P5 conference champion in there, but put a G5 team in there. Um, among other things, they might not even be the eighth seed uh, in, a, in a lot of years. But they that way, if you take the field, if you're an FBS team and you take the field uh, at the beginning of the season and, you, and, and in your head you're like, this is going to be the, you know, the best, our best team in school history. We're going to dominate everybody, and that's going to get us a shot at the national title. Like that should be if your best team you've ever fielded goes undefeated, beats everybody by 35 points, you should technically have a chance for the national title if you're in that subdivision. And they didn't come close. And, it, and it's funny, too, because, um, I, you know, one of the fun things about working for ESPN now is having access to the stats and info group and being able to interact with people. And, um, you, you know, just having that as a resource is incredible. Um, FPI right now has, I think, it gives UCF a 9% shot at, at a playoff bid at the moment just because of how, th- how everything else is likely to play out and, you know, conferences with two lost champions and all these other things, uh, they have a better shot now than they have over the last couple of years. But to me, like that's still, you know, you have to create rules for when you're doing these simulations and when they do and don't make it. And you have to make assumptions on what it would actually take for the committee to put a G5 team in the top four. And I just cannot see the committee ever doing that, no matter what. I think they would put in two, two lost conference champions at the P5 level before they put in UCF. And again, what are we doing? What's, I mean, what's the point of, of even pretending if you're not going to have a shot if you win that many games? So again, right now, SP plus is saying UCF is number 18 in the country. It's super early, right. uh, but let's look, let's, let's look backwards. Uh, last year, the year before, where was UCF landing among the top? Cause even, cause again, as much as you support them, I maybe seemingly support them a little more, right? The numbers are still not saying that they are playing at a top four level, though. Right. I think I'm trying to remember. So basically, you know, I did this conference, these extra conference adjustments. I redesigned a lot of my, my numbers this past off season. So as 2017 was playing out, I think my system had UCF as high as, uh, I don't remember for sure, but I think around sixth, if I remember right, between sixth and eighth for sure. Um, because they were just, they were, yes, they, their, their schedule adjustments were bad, but they were blowing the doors off of everybody. And, um, that ended up 
putting them, push, pushing them up pretty high. Now, when I added these conference level adjustments, if you want to see the effect of that, they finished 22nd in 2017 and then finished 18th um, last year because they had some more priors of success and whatnot. So that's, that's a clear, like, UCF fans went from thinking I was their biggest advocate to hating me. And then I moved to ESPN, which made it worse, I'm sure. But, um, <laughs> but, but like, I, so that kind of tells you the impact there. But my, what, how I'll spin that around is, if you never lose, you should be playing for the national title. Like, even if you eventually do lose in the playoff or whatever, if you go two years without losing, um, that should earn you a shot in any system we have set up. Because, it, I mean, you think back to, like, 2017. If we had an 18 playoff and a, G, and a mandatory G5 bid. You probably get one seed Clemson versus eight seed UCF. And I'm not saying UCF would have won that game. But that Clemson team could have been beaten, and UCF could have done it. It would have been a very, very competitive game that year. Well, this last year, probably not as much, especially without Milton, obviously. But uh, in that 2017 team could have pro- potentially beaten the one-seeded Clemson, and they could have potentially beaten whoever the four or five seed would have been that year. They could have legitimately made the national title game, and that would have been amazing, even if my you know conference-heavy numbers don't, didn't like them as much at the end of the day. I love to talk to you about the numbers and I love looking at the numbers myself, but there is also an element of, you know, sort of a what's fair and B uh, I do want, as we started talking, you made mention of the fact that like your rankings are not just based on wins and losses, right? You can win a game, play well and move up. You could lose a game. Well, excuse me. You can win a game, not play that well, move down. You can lose a game, play well, move up. You're looking at underlying factors that don't take into account bounce of the ball and all the weird things that happen to determine a winner and loser. You're just looking more for underlying factors that show a team is, has, has a certain level of quality moving forward but the results on the field still have to matter and i think this is where we we both even though we like you are a professional numbers guy and i love numbers ultimately if we're playing these games for a reason and if you don't sort of honor the results of the games why are we even doing this then i could literally just have your numbers will crunch them and you can spit out four teams that will play in the playoff, and you may come up with four SEC teams. I wouldn't want that. <laughs> you probably wouldn't want that. No. Because you're not honoring what's actually going on on the field as far as results. Wins and losses still have to matter. Even if every right. win and loss is not equal, wins and losses still have to matter because that's sort of sports, folks. You know? <laughs> like, right. I mean, I think about, like, instead of using the – the G5 example that we, you know, with UCF, like obviously people have opinions about G5 and whether they should be, uh, you know, whatever. Like that's a, another kind of argument that's gotten boring uh, through the years. But think back to 2015. Iowa was within like 30 seconds of beating Michigan State, finishing 13-0, and and, you know, making the college football playoffs. Iowa finished 42nd in my FP Plus rankings that year. They were lucky. They, they, you know, they, they won a close games in every possible imaginable way. Uh, once they, you know, they got ended up, of course, getting destroyed by Stanford in the Rose Bowl. But if they had gotten a 13 and 0, you know, even with while getting yelled at for months on end by, by every single Iowa fan on the planet that year, you wouldn't have heard me advocating for them getting left out of the playoff. They were 13 and 0. And until they lose, they get to keep playing. So, yeah, like th- this is a predictive system, and I think it tells us a lot more than we're than 
you know, than a lot of people want to admit. And I think uh, numbers like mine and, or FPI or whatever should be a part, a bigger part of the college football playoff conversation than they are. Um, I think it's doing a disservice to go out of your way to basically declare that we're not going to use any more numbers beyond like just raw numbers. And then we're going to, you know, well, it was a top 25 win, therefore it counts. But if they were number 26, then that win doesn't count. Like like Kentucky, they're unranked. That win does nothing for Florida, even though they're probably almost certainly a top 40 team. Uh, they're unranked, so it doesn't count for anything. Um, we're going to create our own little system on the on the fly, uh, pretend like we're not using stats when we are, and we're just using the wrong stats. It's just um, it, 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 these, these numbers are a lot more useful uh, for conversations like that than we think. It just doesn't have to determine the final answer. It doesn't have to say the top four teams in this system are there for the four playoff teams because, you know, again, if you go 13-0, and 0, you deserve a spot. Okay, so I'm way late to take a break. I'm going to take a quick break, and then we're going to finish <laughs> up with Bill. I'm going to I'm going to be the champion of all the teams uh, that Bill's rankings have screwed uh, for the, <laughs> for a few minutes here, and make you explain why you hate Kansas State and Wake Forest. This is yep. the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm talking to Bill Conley from ESPN, and we'll be back right after this. The AP Top 25 College Football Podcast is presented by Regions Bank. And we're back on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. It's Ralph Russo uh, with Bill Conley from ESPN. He is the architect, the brains behind SP Plus rankings. So before I take the place of fans who think you hate their team, I wanted to talk to you about this. And this is another reason why I think your numbers, and I always encourage fans to sort of look at any kind of analytics, even if it's just Sagarin, which is a very sort of basic who'd you play and who'd you, who did who you play played is we in the AP rankings because there's a top 25 and we're as you mentioned before like we are sort of beholden to the top 25 and if you're not a top 25 team that makes you different from the top 25 right when the fact of the matter is the numbers 20 through 25 churn almost every week and quite frankly there's not much difference between 15 and 40 in college football and that's one of the things I I like about using your numbers and other people's numbers, it does give us a better idea of the parity that once you get beyond, let's say, the top five, six, or ten, that there's right. not a whole lot of difference between number 15 and number 35. And beating number 35 or number 45 or number 50 actually has some value. Right, yeah, so here's the best way I can explain it. So right now, like, I, I present my SG Plus ratings in the form of basically an adjusted points per game figure. So Alabama's number one right now at plus 36.8. That means they're basically 36.8 points better than the average team. So you can look at two teams' ratings and, and determine, like, what, it would predict, what, what margin it would predict uh, if those two teams played. Uh, you can, you know, you add a home field advantage to it, and, and you, you're all set up that way. But the best way I can explain it is Alabama's at 36.8. They are 9.4 points ahead of Ohio State right now, and Ohio State's fifth. Uh, Ohio State is 9.4 points ahead of basically Michigan, which is at 16. So there's as much distance between one and five as there is five and 16. Michigan at 16 is 9.4 points ahead of, let's see, number 34, Utah State. So one to five, uh, five to 15, 15 to 34, there's the same distance in that. So the, the, the more, the further down you go, the more cluttered everything is. There's, um, let's see, number 25 is TCU at 12.4. 
Uh, that's only five point two ahead, uh, points ahead of number forty. So you know all of those games are you're basically one bounce away from uh, either one team or the other winning, or from the game being a toss up. And and yeah, we we pretend like everybody's equally spread apart in one versus five versus fifteen versus whatever. It just doesn't work that way. It's, it's a bell curve, and the the teams at the edges are pretty far out ahead or behind, I guess, in the case of like UCAP. But uh, the teams in the middle are really, really, really close together. I think we also sometimes forget how teams are not a thing, right? They are a range of possible outcomes to a certain degree. So I think we get so hung up on the fact that, like, oh, I saw this team play a close game against a team that I thought that they were going to be much better than. That means that's what they are. When really, from week to week, teams are a range of outcomes. Um, and, and I think I do. I really think that we sort of miss that. But when they play at their lower end of, of their range of outcomes, I think we sometimes overrate that we, or we overreact right. to the idea that, well, they played at the low end of their out of their possible range. So that means that's what I'm going to base them on. I'm going to base them on their base, my evaluation right. on this team on the low end of their range, as opposed to sort of the mid midpoint of their range, which would be the logical thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's, and I even try to do that at a, at a game to game level. Like one of the, the things I end up using a lot or uh, referencing a lot in, in my writing is uh, this thing that I came up with basically called uh, post game win expectancy. It, it looks at uh, a given game, uh, you know, the, the, the key stats from a given game, it's the things that are going to end up going in the SP plus ratings, those predictive things that are going to, are going to carry the way most of the time. It basically looks at all the key stats from that game, tosses it in the air and says, you know, with these stats, you would have expected, no matter what the result actually was, with these stats, you could have expected to win this game X percent of the time. And um, one of, you know, I, I know you were going to bring up Wake Forest here because Wake fans at the moment are kind of mad because they, they're they undefeated. Demon Dickens are ranked 51st, and the team they beat Utah State in week one is 34th. And how could that be? And, and we, we, we should be ahead of them and all that stuff. The clearest case I can give for why they're not higher or why they're not higher than Utah State is that postgame win expectancy number uh, was 36%. It was a game that the way it played out, the different, and this doesn't include penalties or that call should have been the other way or anything like that, but basically the way that game played out where, um, you know, well, it basically played out to that Wake Forest had a whole heck of a lot of turnovers luck is what, is, is what happened. Utah State made all or most of the big plays in the game. The efficiency levels were about even, and, and uh, Utah State played a little better in the red zone. Usually those things take shape as a Utah State win, and it didn't. But um, So basically that counts towards the win-loss record, but it doesn't necessarily mean – that SP Plus is going to look at that and say, well, Wake Forest won. They're the better team. It's going to be a lot blurrier than that. And um, blurriness tends to be pretty good with predictive systems, I guess. But that is, um, when you talk about range of outcomes, the Wake Forest-Utah State game is a pretty good example of, of the, the number of different things that could have happened for that game to turn out differently. Um, there, there are a lot of different – there's a big range of outcomes uh, within that game. So if I'm a Miami fan and I'm sitting at 1-2 and two with a win over Bethune-Cookman and I've lost my two mm-hmm. games against Power 5 teams, including a conference game, but your rankings have them at 21, I should feel at least somewhat heartened because it, my under the underlying parts of my game are looking better than my record. Right. I mean, they started the year projected 20th. So basically, they're right at where they were initially projected. 
uh, after three games. And and the reason that the main reason they haven't fallen really, I mean, number one, like that post game win expectancy number against Florida was twenty percent, which isn't bad. Uh, it put them about that's an adjusted scoring margin of like seven. They would have normally lost that game by about seven points. They lost by four, and that's fine. But, uh, you know, the, the fact that Florida's in the top 10 right now, you know, you're not going to punish a team for being a, seven adjusted points worse than a top 10 team. You're not going to punish them very much anyway. And then the North Carolina game, their postgame went expected to was 68%. You know, they had yeah, God, that's better just awful. And yeah, yeah <laughs> and, like they, they won almost every single category except red zone, more or less. Uh, they even had a little bit of turnovers luck in there, and that, that's a game they almost always win. But the way the funky way it played out with the the, the block kicks and the fourth and eighteen conversion, North Carolina won. And congrats to them. They'll, pro- they'll probably make a bowl because they won that game. But it wasn't something where you can definitively then say, well, then North Carolina is clearly better than Miami and should be ranked ahead of them. It just didn't play out that way. So when you in a way, SC Plus basically looks at that UNC game as a Miami win or something that would have normally been a Miami win, and they didn't punish them a ton for that either. So they ended up staying, they at this point stayed about where they were to start with. We address Wake Forest, the other one that clearly you're biased against is Kansas State. <laughs> Kansas State, I got to tell you, I, I'm, I am shocked that, well, shocked, maybe shocked a little heavy, but I was definitely surprised that they went into Mississippi State and won. Chris Kleiman has done a really terrific job with that team the first three weeks of the season. Again, beat up on some teams that weren't very good. So I, I think it was easy for us to sort of say, eh, maybe, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll learn a lot more about them in Starkville. And what we learned about them mm-hmm. in Starkville is, well, pretty good team. That's a nice win. Why are the numbers down on Kansas State? And part of it is because they weren't that good last year. Right. I mean, the reason to, to, to me, I would say that the numbers aren't down on Kansas State. They are, um, and I tweeted this out this morning, among the current top 50 teams, because again, preseason projections are very heavy uh, in this system right now, and that will start to change next week. Um, because of because of the fact that they started 75th, uh, projected 75th. Well, that's and, actually I mean, pretty good. If yeah. K-State fans, fans want to complain about being projected 75th, may I remind you, you weren't very good last year. <laughs> um, and then, you know, didn't return your loss as a Uber. That was a big thing. Um, you know, they're you know, bringing in transfer running backs. It, it was not an amazing situation for them heading into the year. So the fact that they've risen to 49th, they're the only team in the current top 50 that was projected worse than 62nd. They've risen 26 spots. Uh, they will probably, you know, they'll end up having a great bye week this week because the, the, the adjustments will shift next week. And so uh, their performances to date will be seen as better and they'll, they'll rise a lot in their bye week. But that's just the way the system is. It is very, very conservative at the beginning of the year. And um, the fact that they are up to 49th, uh, I, I know they complained. I, I know a lot of people complained too because they were 41st last week. So they fell technically for beating Mississippi State and Mississippi State because they are propped up by those projections didn't fall very much. Um, or I, I think their rating fell, but their ranking didn't. But, uh, you know, that's basically because every single week is based on a completely different set of weights. And their special teams isn't very good right now. And special teams carries more weight this week in each progressive week as we go along. And so there are just all these different factors, and we toss everything in the air. They land slightly different every week. And, you know, Kansas State fans aren't really a fan of this system at the moment, and, and that's, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll live with it. It's, it's, I've, I've redesigned it a million times. I really like where it's at, and sometimes you get little oddities like this that'll, that'll rectify themselves pretty quickly if, if K-State continues to play well. If they don't, then maybe they are a, t- a borderline top 50 team as opposed to a borderline top 25 team, and we'll find that out too. 
Right. And as I always remind people who I fans and other media members, when I talk about numbers, because it's something that you say and I've stolen it from you, is that this is sort of the start of a conversation, the numbers. Right. And I, I love using different analytics because I still match it to what I'm seeing. And I, I can sort of maybe spot an outlier here or there. And I'm not necessarily going to throw out the whole system because of there's an outlier, but I can adjust for it mentally. I can adjust for it because I'm smart and I'm a human being and human beings can adjust <laughs> for things, right? So it's the start of a conversation and I generally think it's a good way to start the conversation. I'm going to end this conversation between you and I, sort of where I started. And this is not just your numbers, Bill, but you watch a lot of college football. So I'm going to ask you to, to include a little bit of your head and heart here too. I kind of don't see it being at all likely that we're going to get a playoff that isn't some combination of Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma. Maybe LSU works its way in there. It it really does feel like these five teams plus maybe LSU are playing at a a very different level from the rest. They're recruiting. They really are recruiting at a, a, a somewhat different level. At least most of them are. If you look where the fours and fives are landing, they're clustering at these schools more than any others. So do you think that we're sort of leading towards a season that will always have a lot of fun and drama because that's college football? but that will ultimately be looked at as somewhat boring because we're not going to get a whole lot of movement at the top. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly how it appeared. And it's certainly it's been a more fun season two or three weeks than the first three weeks of last year were. Last year was like the biggest formality that I can remember. There were still plenty of, of you know funky, weird, and fun games and all that. But even at this point in the year last year, we were like, man – this is just kind of the ball's just kind of rolling here. We've had like three good games, like you know, Clemson had barely beaten Texas A and M, and that basically like clinched a spot for them. Um, but it, so it, it has been a fun season. Then you look at the top, and nothing's really changed. I, I would say the teams I'm curious about that could puncture that top level, and I do feel bad for LSU because I'm I'm an LSU believer. I think they're absolutely one of the top four or five teams in the country right now. Uh, but they are still in the same division as Alabama, uh, and they still have to play. Um, Auburn and Texas A&M, and no matter what we think of Mississippi State, Mississippi State's a very athletic and competitive team, no matter what. You have Florida uh, on there too. Yeah, teams. they have to. Yeah, and so um, it's it's just such a tricky schedule that I don't see them getting to the finish line uh, as a contender. But they're they you know those I think those six teams are the best in the country, or are most likely to be the best. I'm very curious about Wisconsin just because they looked so unbelievably good, and they were a statistically awesome team two years ago, not just a, not just an Iowa, like I was talking about 2015, they were a dominant team uh, that re- that came within a touchdown of making the college football playoff and probably would have acquitted themselves well there. Uh, and they, after, you know, some, some bad injury breaks and a remade defense and all that through two games, they looked unreal. And we get to find out now if they start to, if they pummel Michigan, then they could be a disruptor for Ohio State. They could be a team that inserts its way into the conversation. And if they make the playoff, they're not going to lose by 42 points to Clemson or Alabama. They would actually be reasonably competitive. Curious about them. Curious about Notre Dame. Uh, another year, another shot to prove that you know, cause this is clearly a top 10 or 12 program. They're just not a top two program. And, and we find that kind of harshly sometimes when they, when they make that final step. Um, but they're a team that we'll find out exactly how competitive they can be with Georgia this week. Uh, you know, athletically, how competitive they can be. That'll tell us whether we need to take them seriously or not. You know, Georgia's really good, so probably not. But I'm curious. 
Uh, and really, that's outside of the top six. Those are the uh, those are kind of the two teams I can see creating paths for themselves here. Um, Florida, obviously, even if you believed in Florida, they now have a quarterback change. Auburn's got a freshman quarterback, so that's probably out. The Pac-12 has more or less eliminated itself. Still some opportunities, but uh, but long shots. So yeah, we're kind of looking at those teams and. Just a reminder that this is why you need to be entertained by all the things you can be entertained by because the title race might not be all that entertaining. Bill Conley from ESPN, SP Plus rankings, you'll find them. And you, gosh, you're getting these things out on Sunday now, right? Didn't you used to be Monday, which I'm sure is also making you work a lot harder? Well, we've I, I had moved it to Sunday in recent years. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Streamlined okay. to where it's earlier now than it was. Okay, um, and then we get the post up when we can get the post up. But yeah, we're uh, we're cruising right along, and, and it allows me to then uh, do ridiculous things that nobody else cares about, like put out FCF <laughs> and Division Two SP Plus rankings later in the week. SP Plus rankings, you can find him at ESPN. Bill Conley does a great job. You can find him on Twitter and elsewhere. Uh, Bill, thanks so much for the conversation, and uh, you know maybe we'll circle back around uh, about halfway through the season and see how SP Plus is doing. Sounds good. And now, three and out. First down. I'm still a little furious about Pat Nordizzi's decision to kick a field goal on fourth and goal from the one with Pitt trailing Penn State by seven and five minutes left in the game last Saturday. It was just coaching malpractice. I asked someone I know who works for a company that provides decision-making analytics to FBS teams all over the country. What did his numbers say about that possession? And not only did he say Pitt should have gone from the one on fourth down, but it should have gone from the two. It should have gone from the three. It should have gone from the four, five, six, seven, all the way out to the eight-yard line. In that situation, Pitt should have been trying to score a touchdown. Ugh. Second down. Since I didn't do much of a preview of the week ahead with Bill on the interview, I'll give some quick thoughts on this week's big games. I think it's going to be a rough day in Athens for Notre Dame, which seems susceptible to the run, and that is no way to go against Georgia's ridiculously good and huge offensive line and star running back DeAndre Swift. My gut says Michigan plays well this week against Wisconsin. Not sure if that's enough to beat the Badgers, but I expect a much better performance than what we saw against Army. It's just so easy to overreact to these poor performances early in the season. So not sure who wins, but I think a good game from Michigan. Interested to see who emerges from the Auburn and A&M game. Right now, those teams don't look to be in Alabama and LSU's class. But I wouldn't be surprised if the winner this week ends up being a third wheel in the SEC West. I think we could learn a lot about Texas and Oklahoma State when the Cowboys visit Austin this weekend. And this is the week where things could really get ugly at USC for Clay Helton. Utah comes to town on Friday night. Another loss could eliminate almost any doubt about where this season is headed for the Trojans. Third down. Always like to give you a little something off the radar to watch for. Another good game to stay up late for this weekend. The Utah State and talented quarterback Jordan Love 
plays San Diego State. It's a matchup of Mountain West contenders and one of the better defenses in the country in San Diego State against one of the top offenses in the country in Utah State. Should be a fun one on CBS Sports Network. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Warren Levinson, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts at Podcast One. Please subscribe so you do not miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. The AP Top 25 College Football Podcast was presented by Regions Bank.